www.kpodcastnetwork.tv podcast network. You got me curious now. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that uh, that I don't listen. What then, huh? This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 117 for the week of May 23rd, 2016. I am Dinner Smoothie David T. Cole, and I'm here with Deadly Champagne Bottle Sarah D. Bunting. (laughs) Face like a butthole Joe Reed. Yeah, you like what you see? Church organist Tara Ariano. And Deface Bible, Eve Beatty. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Extra Hot Great. Before we get into it, I just want to say up top, we are off next week for Memorial Day, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Not American. Sometimes he forgets. We're having delayed Victoria Day celebrations at our house. Thank you for your service. Um, This week, we are talking about Preacher with Eve Beatty. Welcome, Eve. So let's get into it. Preacher, for those who don't know, is a comic book from the days of yore, uh, finally brought to a screen. Uh, It's been a long journey, apparently. People have been trying to make this for a long time, and AMC... Uh, finally said, all right, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> to Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. I oh. wonder why they were the two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Eve, you're covering it for Previously.TV. Uh, what were your uh, first reactions to the show? Have you read the comic? I have, but I remember so little of okay. it that it's almost as though I didn't. And I sort of thought like, oh, well, you know, after I watch the first episode, you know, if it's actually, you know, something that, you know, we're going to bother to cover, I'll go read the comic books. But I liked the first episode so much, I decided not to go back and reread it because I didn't want to possibly be spoiled. How recently have you read the comics, Dave? Uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I reread them. Just into, Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you, you know everything and I know it's nothing, basically, yeah. is, is the yeah. situation, <laughs> like, like usual. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, so you can speak to this more intelligently than I can, probably, but I feel so far that it is pretty true to what I remember of the ethos of the comic book. But it, in my opinion, even if it wasn't, it doesn't matter because I really like what I'm seeing. Mm. To me, having read, and I, I won't spoil any plot points. Yeah. Uh, if I do, I'll, we'll, we'll we'll do the jingle. Uh, but to compare it with the comic book, it is pretty close. I would say the difference, the big difference, is one: the lead character Jesse uh, Custer is mm-hmm. um, in the comic book. He's more of a rockabilly kind of happier guy, and his portrayal in the TV series, as I said in the forum, is a little oatmeal-y. He's a little yeah. uh, drab. Um, I don't get the sense in the comic books that he was like as dedicated to his faith as he is apparently in the show. Um, But the big difference in the show for me beyond that is they are doing kind of a slow burn on character introductions, sort of like big chunks of the puzzle, whereas the comic book kind of, jumped in pretty quickly and it makes sense you know i you know it's it's a lot to absorb you know for people that are just coming into the show now 
when you look back at it, maybe at the end of the season one or season two, you'd be like, wow, there's a lot going on that didn't really make itself evident in the first couple episodes <clears throat> that you watch. Um, but it's still pretty interesting. Like there's a lot of, you know, I'm trying to put myself in the uh, position of somebody who doesn't know what's going on. And there's some uh, intriguing things I would imagine uh, like the two guys in the, uh, <laughs> the two weird guys in the, in their getups uh, running around dying all the time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Stuff like that. Uh, what do you guys think? First impression. I thought for a, for a 90 minute pilot where, cause like some pilots you get to the premise of the show right off the bat and some pilots lead up to the premise and then they leave you with that as sort of like a cliffhanger. 90 minutes is a long time to wait for a pilot to get to the point of the series at the very end of it. <laughs> and I thought there was a lot of me sort of waiting for the show to sort of click in kind of in that, like I, you know, I'm a citizen of the world. I, I have a Wikipedia page open in front of me as I watch new shows sometimes because like, I don't have time to, <laughs> you know, wait to, to figure out what the hell's going yeah, on. Exactly. <laughs> so I wasn't totally completely in the dark, but, um, on the flip side of that is I like the tone and I like the characters, at least the three main ones, uh, Custer and Tulip and I don't know. I don't remember Cassidy. what the name of the vampire. Cassidy. 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 Yeah, I like those three quite a bit. Yeah. So I will sort of happily follow that. And I think the tone of it's really good in that it's funny without being funny, if that makes sense. Like it's sort of lighthearted, but it doesn't really go for like the big yuck yucks. It's right. just sort of. It's very dark, but it's going to keep this edge and humor to it. So in that way, it made me forgive what I felt was a, kind of a drawn out pilot. What, I mean, I was interested to see what your reaction was, because to me, this has some sort of tonal and thematic similarities with another recent show that Eve also covered for us on Previously.TV, Ash versus Evil Dead, which you did not respond oh, to, yeah. uh, Joe, but you like this one right. better, it sounds like. Yeah, I like this one better. I think Ash vs. Evil Dead, there's a winkiness to everything oh, with sort of that franchise. Yeah. 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 Well, that... this is pretty cartoony, too. Well, it, it, but... but A guy's head ends up in a crater. Well, <laughs> yeah, but Ash vs. Evil Dead, like, it really could be a cartoon. Yeah. Whereas this one, as Joe was saying, like, there are uh, comedic elements that are accepted darkly, like Arseface and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Where it's not as Joe says, play yeah. for yucks, but it is not exactly dark, dark. It's sort of like fun, dark. Sarah, I think it's a, it's oh. a, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm really, I don't really need to elaborate. I think Dave got it. <laughs> what were your thoughts, Sarah? Um, I really liked it. I think that I agree with Joe in terms of the pilot being like, a little it was standing back a little from its own set pieces but with that said the set pieces were amazing like the fight in the car was yeah. awesome yes but it was like the little that cut things. to the cornfield whenever they would cut to the cornfield was gorgeous was yeah like actually and, gorgeous yeah and it was like i understand why you're sort of letting these scenes breathe but at the same time maybe tighten it up a little bit yeah. and like get to what you're doing. Because I also agree that this, I don't, I'm not familiar with the other iterations of the story, but you sometimes run into problems with this stuff where like your central character, your hero can be a little bit, I don't know what the word I want is. Um, I guess oatmeal works. 
like it's the toppings you put on the oatmeal that make it awesome. Um, right. And he just seems a little like doer and angely and like I don't know. I found him very likable for whatever. Reason. I mean, he's not he's not unlikable and he's not boring and he's not like yeah like he's, yeah he's fine. But, but the, sometimes in the pilot, they they won't give you a whole lot with the main character, so they don't put anyone off. Right. Look, if and, they had not given us that smirk during the fight, I probably would have said, "You guys, I'm not going to cover this." I will tell you <laughs> because, because I think I'm totally with Dave. He's oatmeal. He's almost a cipher. He's he's almost like a you know a vessel, haha. But he's like a vessel for the audience in a way that you know is. I feel like, you know, having watched a couple of episodes, he, he does start to sort of, you know, like one of those like big lot sponges, he does start to sort of expand a little more as time goes on. And, and I hope that, well, I'm at my parents' house, so, you know, I've seen a lot of these things. Um, but, um, you know, like, I do think, like, you know, I'm with Joe, too, that it's like, there was so much slow stuff, and this is something that I talked about in my coverage, too. It's sort of like... um. There's a lot of Tarantino-y kind of things, including with that fight, where it's like you're sort of coming in in the middle of something and, you know, you sort of hope you're going to figure it out, but you're not sure if you're going to. So I think that, you know, all of the points that you guys raise are really relevant. And the question is, are those are those issues going to be resolved as the show goes on or is it all going to end up just being like this really awesome style? So I think we can all agree that it's so stylish and it looks so amazing, right? Yeah. Yes, for sure. And I totally want whatever he's putting in his hair. Like by the third uh-huh. episode, is, there, is, it, is it like surf spray maybe or something? Because it's, it's like got so much texture. It's better than dry shampoo, whatever it is. Oh, my God, it looks so good. Where his hair is starting to get that rockabilly thing by episode three. I want that, whatever it is. But Tara, there's something that you and I were really bothered by in the pilot that I feel like we can discuss yeah. safely. So presumably mm-hmm. everyone's watched it by now. Yes. And it's something that does come up again. I think that we can safely say it comes up again in the third episode and does not resolve to our satisfaction. Yeah, we watched Dave and I watched the the three other episodes that we were given to screen in advance. So we've watched we've watched the first four as you have. And and the issue is the whole matter with the abusive husband who when the preacher goes and talks to his wife, she says that they're basically in a an S&M relationship. And when he hurts her, she likes it. And, and it, you you spoke to that in your post. You can talk more about what you said. Well, I, I will. It just the whole situation rang so weird to me that I actually thought, like, is this maybe did I forget? Is this something like where people are possessed and everyone's going to start going like everyone in the town's going to start going wrong or something? Is that what happens instead? Um, because, yeah, because he says that the child of the two parents in the abusive relationship comes to the preacher and says, my dad hurts my mom. You look over and you see the dad digging his hand into the mom's arm at this sort of this church picnic thing. And um, then, you know, when the preacher talks to the mom about it, she's like, oh, yeah, he does. And I like it, which to me doesn't seem true to an actual BDSM relationship. In reality, you know, especially in small town Texas, someone would say, oh, no, nothing like that's happening. You know, a kid heard something and didn't understand what it was. That's what you'd say. You wouldn't say, oh, yeah, he hurts me, and it's awesome, especially because when she describes the abuse, she describes it in a, you know, in a weird way. Oh, he scalded me with the tea kettle because I did this. It doesn't sound like I'm his willing slave and he's my, you know... I mean, I'm not trying to be all San Francisco here, but that's not how it works. That, I mean, it's just not. That's yeah. not how. I mean, I'm not trying to make rules for y'all kinksters, but that's not how it works. 
And then later on, when the um, preacher comes to the dad and says, oh, you know, well, I understand that there's a strange situation here. Or no, sorry, when the dad says, oh, you talked to my wife, it wasn't like, oh, you got, you know, oh, well, we have videos and relationship and I'm glad that's all worked out. It was, I'm going to beat you up and I'm going to beat the kid. Well, that's not how no. respectful kink people do things. <laughs> that dad needs to reread his ethical slut. Actually, I'm not sure if that's Seriously. even the same book. <laughs> But yeah, my other problem that you also raised in your new show fact sheet was um, the accents, which for a show that cool. shoots in New Mexico, sure are a lot of English people in this thing. Why? Like, it's supposed to, it's set in Texas. And my first thought was that maybe like Ash versus Evil Dead, it's, you know, some other Commonwealth nation posing as wherever mm -hmm. they're supposed to be, but that's not the case. They did shoot it in New Mexico, so I don't know why they had to cast every fucking English person for all of these Southern roles. Es especially the um, the young woman who plays Tulip, who I will admit I also did not like on Agents of Shield. Um, Ooh, it disagree. Oh, really? Did you like? Did you? Uh, well, I, I loved her. I loved her on Agents of Shield. I see. I. Well, I liked I liked her before she went through the transformation and became the spiky thing. After that, I'm like, you're so mopey. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you got your thing. It's, so what? You got stuff sticking out. Who cares? Calm down. Quit whining. I don't know. Part of it was the writing. But but this with where the corn pone accent. I mean, I'm in Indiana right now, and I can tell you people do not speak that way. <laughs> oh, hey, y'all. I mean, just whatever. Don't get you give her like these little countryisms and to sort of blind me to the fact that her accent just sounds like something pulled off. Off watching episodes of the Dukes of Hazard, no. <laughs> to me, that that sort of felt in felt uh, like it fit in a little bit with the heightened atmosphere of everything else that was happening. So I didn't mind it too much. But um, but I also just generally like that actress. She was also in a movie at the Cannes Film Festival last week that was very well received. So I think her career is headed on the up. Uh, My favorite was the the kids. Like usually, the kid actors in anything, you're like oofa. Uh, but first of all, the kid of the not properly B and D BDSM couple. <laughs> It was Thomas the awesome Barbuska. shitty kid from yes. Wet Hot American Summer who it's I love so much. The shitty kid from Wet Hot American Summer and also <laughs> oh, was so in good. a Geico ad where he's like yep. playing the Peter Pan at I the reunion. I love him and he's so, so much. Like, oh! <laughs> American Horror oh, Story this season too. So young. Yes, he was a, a vampire. Shitty little. He plays a great shitty kid. Yeah, he it. really does. Yeah. Um, and then the little girl, like as Tulip's like. She yeah. does the craft project, and then when she's peeling out of the yard, that little girl's face, like, mm -hmm. just was everything. And even the butthole actor kid who <laughs> shot his own face off, there's something about his cadences that is, like, so adorable and sad. Like, the way the way that he delivers his lines is, like, really, I don't know, winning. And I don't know what his deal is, again, yeah. but it's, like, just when he's, you know, in the room talking to talking to the preacher and I don't know, like there's something about the show that's like, this is an excellent example of being able to look at a pilot and be like, these aspects of it are pilot itis. And these aspects of it aren't like mm -hmm. when we talk about pilot itis, which we do frequently on this program, this is exactly what we're talking about, that there are some aspects of it that you're just like, this will even itself out, which it did not so much that, abusive relationship but mm. i'm surprised it stuck around actually to hear that it's that it's in further episodes that felt like a thing where like that's a episode one thing that you surmount and sort of move yeah. on to the next thing yeah. like what's his face from uh 
from Veep who had the problem with his mother that certainly ended definitively oh, by the yes. end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, just go back to Tulip for a second. <clears throat> as much as uh, Jesse is sort of a disappointment in the series so far compared to the comic book, at least for me, uh, Tulip is much better drawn in the TV show. Oh, that's she's, good to know. She's sort of a drip in the comic, actually. Uh, not all that. She <clears throat> is less a uh, strong, you know, Joss Whedon written character and more like <laughs> damsel and often in distress and sort of like always getting herself in trouble and not really having her shit together. So the uh, Dawn instead of the Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, oh, what was that? That was Sarah's Dawn. That was my Dawn invitation, but my boy doesn't go home. (laughs) Um, There are, so I would say if you are watching the first episode or at least the first couple and it seems a little slow, just know that even if they only touch like half of what the comic book does, it does get really bonkers. Like it does cast his net really far into the crazy zone. Um, so there is stuff to look forward to. They're doing some interesting things with the character sort of uh, insertions, like um, you know the character played by uh, what's his name Haley. What's, what's that guy's name? The uh, Quinn Cannon. Jackie Earl Haley, the bad news bears guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the kid who became Freddy Krueger, that guy. Yes. Is that well, yeah. Yeah. Is, is, is that he? Does he appear in the pilot though? So this, that, this might be news to listeners. Uh, I think, I think the, so. the company is in the pilot. And yeah. the company's in the pilot, but we don't. I don't think we meet Jackie Earl Haley right. until, until, um, see, the, until next the second episode. second episode. Yeah, in the in the book, he's like a whole like year later introduction, and a lot of the other things are, are that happen in the in the second and third episode are things in the comic books that come much later. So they're they're doing an interesting sort of churn and mixing it up and sort of doing little teases of characters and bringing them into the story earlier, which is which is fun to watch after you've read the comics. Anyway. Also, Sarah, your dear friend Nathan Darrow appears in a later episode as well. <laughs> he shows up to oh, uh, be pre- Preacher Senior in Flashback. It's Meacham from House uh-huh. of Cards. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing. In the pilot, his dad is played by himself. You know, uh, he plays his yeah. dad in the pilot, and then that changes yeah. later. Yeah, okay. Thank you. I'm so glad someone brought that up. I was completely confused if that was like a different flashback or what was happening. But that makes there. sense because in the comic book, all the flashbacks, like he looks exactly like his dad. Like, like yeah. there, there are, yeah. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. And they changed it. I'm like, well, hmm. interesting. Well, that actor resembles Carl Urban so much that for a second I was yeah. like, hang on, is, you know, it, I thought that when, because there was that preacher sort of extended clip, I think during maybe the premiere or the, the season finale, The Walking Dead or something. And for a second I was like, oh, Dave's going to be so happy. Carl Urban's back on TV. <laughs> and, and it, you know, it was just Howard Stark. But in the flashbacks, too, because they were all sepia toned, I'm like, oh, maybe that's Carl Urban. Dave will be so happy. Carl Urban's back on TV. Once again, disappointed. Uh, Dave, the one person to be happy when Carl Urban shows up on television. <laughs> no, it's not. Look, guys. There's so much more you have to qualify about that. It's Carl Urban. He has to have a robot leg. He has to have a full robot partner. Has to be on a show called Almost Human. Oh, Let's not get down the Almost Human road again. We'll be here all day. Um, yeah, I would say... Not to mention the Priest versus Legion road, because that's another oh, Carl Urban road. Look, yes. guys, it's all oh, about yeah. Legion. You can forget about Priest. <laughs> For more about Dave Cole's very specific tastes in terrible TV and movies, please visit terrible.tv. No. Um, anything else on Preacher before we move on? 
Uh, just that you can follow along with Eve's coverage on Previously.TV all this season. Yeah, and if you're hankering for some more weirdness and you don't mind spoiling yourself for the TV show, the book is worth a read. There are some really fucked up stuff. I, think I know the author of the book has some issues, and it shows, but some of the stuff is so fucking out there <laughs> that you just sort of like, you got those 14-year-old giggles over what immature stuff happens to some of the people. So, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, All exactly. Right. Cool. Speaking of fucked up, about to stay that way. Water presents Missing Dial. Um, okay, here's the deal with Missing Dial. Uh, this is National Geographic Channel's foray into true crime. Uh, this guy, 27-year-old Cody Roman Dial. I mean, what a name. Uh, disappeared in the Costa Rican. Costa Rican jungle in 2014. He is the son of, quote, noted outdoorsman. Um, I had never noted him, but I am indoorsy. Uh, <laughs> Roman Dial Sr., so that's confusing. Uh, Roman Dial feels that um, the U.S. Embassy and Costa Rican government didn't do enough to try to find his son, so he got some TV cameras and a couple of retired Navy SEAL types. Went down to Costa Rica and began the hunt for his son himself independently. Uh, and this is the subject of a six episode series that began on Sunday on Nat Geo. And this is also part of what's becoming this subgenre, mostly podcasts right now, but kind of with shows like disappeared on investigation discovery. Uh, someone knows something, the CBC podcast about the 1972 disappearance of Adrian McNaughton, uh, missing Maura Murray, in which a uh, University of Massachusetts student went missing, like wrecked her car, walked away from it, was never seen again in 2004. Um, the sort of drivers of these narratives really tend to cling to the idea that the missing person met with foul play when it's usually much more likely that he or she like hit her head and wandered into the woods or in Cody Roman Dial's case, like it's the jungle and there are, you know, illegal gold mines in it and illegal gold miners who are not eager for a gringo to see what they're up to. Um, but it's much more likely that a lethal snake got to him or he slipped and hit his head or whatever it is. So I was prepared to sort of be like, well, you know, guys, like I understand that it's a little bit easier um to grieve this kind of thing almost in some ways when you have a task or a, a mystery to solve. But it seemed kind of clear that Cody Roman dial probably fell into a ravine or drowned or something four days before, or excuse me, three days before the show is set to air. Uh, his parents who live in Alaska get a call that they think they found his remains in this jungle. What? So now it is it does seem like it's a true crime case, but this is a really interesting case in terms of in terms of the show because it looks like it's gonna get pretty it looks like it's gonna get pretty nuts this season, like the team sort of fighting with itself and them like interrogating nationals on foreign like na Costa Rican nationals yeah. on foreign soil like in a hut, which seems like it's maybe not that um legal <laughs> under any um, law, international law. And I don't like, I think as of when we were getting press materials, it was like, well, you know, we're getting closer to solving this mystery. And then three days beforehand, they're like, well, I mean, the parents are flying to Costa Rica as we speak to identify 
like a belt buckle and some mm. like a shoe. But they're pretty sure it's Cody Roman Dial. So that puts wow. the TV show in a very interesting position that it's like, well, now that we know that it is a, a crime, is the journey of figuring out what happened to him like more or less compelling now that we kind of know the end, sort of. Um, but it is a pretty well-made show. Nat Geo has been kicking it up a notch the last couple seasons in terms of not doing quite so much like just like, you know, two hours of trees with, you know, wind chimes over it. So, uh, like, this is a pretty well-made show. The characters are compelling. Um, I am one of those people who read uh, Into the Wild and just rolled my eyes nonstop Same. at Chris McCandless. Meanwhile, there's a very good article on Cody Romadial in Men's Journal from a couple of years ago. You can Google it, and we'll put it in the show notes. And it's him, like, replicating Chris McCandless's photo pose at the bus oh, God. where McCandless Oof. died. And apparently Dial Sr. has been very vocal in defense of McCandless's, like, apt at, like, competence. And, you know, this had nothing to do with him being arrogant about nature. And it's like, well, okay. Like, he, he did eat the wrong berry and die, so I'm not 100 on your police work there, Lou. But <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I mean, it raises a lot of questions about, like, you know, man versus nature and how we deal with it when a loved one loses in that fight. And, but in this case, it, it seems to have been that he saw something he shouldn't have and got a machete. So I will be watching. I hope other people are watching and want to discuss it with me on previously.tv. Awesome. now, Great Moments in New York Metropolitan Baseball Club Folk Heroism, sponsored by Tory. <laughs> Number five, Bud Harrelson's snotty comments about the Reds during the 1973 NLCS touch off a scuffle with P. Rose, which in turn prompts the Shea faithful to shower Rose with detritus in left field, <laughs> forcing Tom Seaver to lead a peace contingent to meet with fans before play can resume. Number four, Jacob DeGrom puts the rest of the baseball world on notice in the 2015 All-Star Game by fanning the side on 10 pitches. Number three, Wilmer Flores, thinking he's been traded, weeps on the field at shortstop, endearing himself forever to fans with his loyalty to the team that signed him at age 16. And then, having not actually been traded, hits a 12th inning walk-off home run two days later to beat the Nationals. Number two, in the first New York sporting event after 9-11, Mike Piazza goes yard to center to give the Mets the lead and heal the city. And at number one, with all due respect to Johan Santana's no-hitter, the late great Ralph Kiner's myriad manglings of Met monikers, and Wally Backman's swear-tastic rants, we must give the number one spot to a home run by Bartolo Big Sexy Cologne, who, as you listen to this ad, is celebrating his 43rd birthday. Mr. Cohen, you have the comp. Cologne looking for his first hit of the year. Oh. He drives one! Deep left field! Back goes Upton! Back near the wall! It's out of here! <laughs> Bartolo has done it! The impossible has happened! All right, everybody, it is time to go around the dial. Everybody brings something they're watching to the table. Tara, you first. Oh, my God. If you follow me on Instagram, at Tara Ariano, <laughs> you will have seen me oh. on Friday for real 
sobbing during the season finale of Call of the Midwife. I started cry- like crying so loud, like, <laughs> like that kind of crying, and I'm not kidding. Alone in the house, had to close the bedroom window because there were kids in the backyard playing across the fence. I thought I might scare slash amuse them. I've talked before about what a uh, pitiless tear extraction machine this show is, and it is. Please also go and visit previously.tv to check out uh, Allison Lohuff's post on the finale, which was masterful and lovely. But in the finale, they kill off a character who's been on the show since the beginning in such an understated yet devastating way and the whole community comes out for her funeral it's brutal and as if that wasn't enough they finally get the answer to why so many babies this season have been born with birth defects which is thalidomide so on top of that then they have to tell these mothers who have been taking it like um we think that's why your kid has no thumbs or legs or arms or whatever and they're horribly guilty and they cry and the baby that they got to play one of the uh the victims of thalidomide is (laughs) for real the most beautiful baby i've ever seen and that includes my nieces sorry like she is stunningly lovely (laughs) and yet the mother there's a whole thing where the mother like keeps her wrapped up in an afghan all the time because she's like worried about people seeing her and gawking and stuff but everyone in the neighborhood already knows like it's just there was no front in this episode that was potentially tear jerking that they didn't jerk a tear out of oh my god i totally forgot about this the scene between trixie and nurse crane where nurse crane is like you're gonna find a man it's okay you're not meant to be lonely and stuff because trixie's also been dealing with her alcohol alcoholism all this season like this season has been a fucking killer and this finale was like maybe the most crying I've ever done at a TV show in my life. So if that's an experience you want, question mark, um, <laughs> I really recommend that you watch it. It, re- it has been good. I, I like how um, how the, st- the show has kind of diverged from uh, the original memoir that it was it was based on over the past couple of seasons. Last season was not as good, but this one was much more interesting. And the thalidomide storyline obviously gave it a lot of like juice and a- anxiety and interest. Uh you you say it kind of flipped the show around? Oh, Dave. <laughs> son of too God. soon, Dave. Too soon. Oh, my God. joke. That is a rare, rare God. joke. Thumbs up. He's still, uh, <laughs> he's still uh, laughing at himself. That is especially offensive. It was just a few flipper babies. <laughs> For me. Coming from Saskatchewan, where a Alvin Law, a an armless political candidate, yes, yes, ran for I'm office. a monster. Moving You're on, the worst. what's your plug? All right, my plug is: um, as we record this, The Bachelorette starts its latest summer season uh, tonight. So that means tomorrow you'll be able to see the first installment of Crazy Faces of the Bachelorette, which is my joy. One of the dumbest things I do that takes the longest and gives me the most pleasure. So check that out as well. Um, Coverage, uh, actually written coverage of the show from uh, for just the season premiere. It'll be Jeff Drake. And then after that, Stephanie Green will be back in the saddle covering it for us this season on Previously.TV. Birthday girl Eve. Happy birthday. So... Oh, thank you. Um, I'm me and me and Mr. Cologne, apparently. Yep. Um, uh-huh. So uh, just last uh, Wednesday was the uh, season finale of the second season of Empire, um, a show which I also cover on Previously.TV. And um, I think uh, when uh, you guys were doing sort of the Empire season one finale, 
episode of this podcast, somebody, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Mark Blankenship, said that he was concerned that in season two, they wouldn't have enough plot to fill another season. And that's back when they thought they were only going to have to fill 13 episodes. Mm -hmm. They ended up having to fill 18 episodes. And I do feel that uh, they ended up sort of uh, having to, oh, God. I don't want to say like sort of um, parcel out little pieces of plot sort of wrapped in pads and bubble wrap and all sorts of other stuff and yep. cookie outfits and all that. And uh, God, Dave always says something so good and I can't ever remember it. It's like one pound of plot and like a 10 pound bag oh, yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always. An ASA's say, gift bag, that <laughs> is. Oh. I know. Well, but you don't even get to go to the ASA's because someone gets shot. I mean, I just, I have to say, I enjoy Empire and I am pleased to write. I enjoy writing about it every week too. Like, I always get a thrill. I'm not just saying that because you guys pay me to do it. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, I, like, okay. I, watch, I would watch the show for free. No, I, I mean, I wouldn't write about it for free, but I watch it for free. I watch it anyway for fun. And, um, you know, and I enjoy it, but I have to say that I really felt like a lot of the gear sort of grinding and things. I don't know. What do you guys think? It did feel like they kept some, they held back some of the most explosive stuff for the finale because I've, I've been sort of drifting away from it too. Like I, st- I watched every episode the season, but like less and less interestedly. And the stuff with Lucius's mother coming back, like I don't, I, I don't think this is a very, uh, nice um or responsible portrayal of a bipolar person because in addition to having a mental illness that she's been struggling with at least since lucius was a child she's fucking mean as a snake like i don't know what we're supposed to think about this character she's clear like she's in in addition to being mentally ill she's also like just a crazy being bad lady on top of everything else who plays her as an old woman i can't i don't know her name eve would know oh gosh She's, she's somebody famous um i've See, it's it's it was last Wednesday, Joe. Oh, I've forgotten everything. <laughs> but you're saying it's not Kelly Rowland in old lady makeup. No, oh, I was so that they would Guy Pierce and Prometheus her, and it would just be like you know, uh, or Mr. Saturday Night her, and it would just be like all the silly putty on Kelly Rowland. It was not. Um, no, it's like it's someone super. Oh God, I'm so sorry, but it's just been so many days yeah. since yeah, I've written about fine. it. And I, I've had to delete it for important other information, like you know, all the other stuff for for preacher. Um, it but, wasn't someone I recognized. <clears throat> I think that if Empire, you know, Empire is obviously going to have a, a third season and probably Empire will still be on when we all die because it's just so successful right now. But I really do think that something amazing has they have to kill somebody like major. And something I did notice is that um, Jesse Smollett, the guy who plays Jamal, the, um, you know, the gay son, if we're just going to tag people, he did this sort of interesting tweet where he said i really enjoyed being on empire and now i'm off to do movies and people on twitter went ape shit and they're all like does that mean you're leaving does that mean you're leaving and he didn't respond to any of them people have contacted you know fox pr and asked them if fox pr said no comment i so i don't know if this is this is a move or you know a way to sort of have like a real life cliffhanger as well i mean he didn't die on the show no but he is sort of you know he's cutting off his family um i I assume that contractually there's I don't know how they how long they sign people for, but is he going? If not, maybe they can kill him. Somebody needs to die. Something, <laughs> you know, I would love it if they killed Lucius, I guess is what I'm saying. If yes. Tara knows that's what I'm thinking. Is I want them to kill Lucius. Because Lucius, when we're talking about evil, Lucius is fucking evil. And whatever, he's great. 
with, you know, Cookie. I love every scene he and Cookie are in together, but he needs to fucking pay. He needs to pay for a lot of the shit he's done. He said to his son. He does. No, and our, our colleague, Adam Grosswith, deleted his season pass when Lucius said to his son, when you die of AIDS, I'm going to celebrate. And I think that, I think that they, they went too far with that. And I also think that Lucius went too far with that. He needs to fucking pay you guys. He needs to at least get syphilis. Anyway. <laughs> Oh boy! Not realize it for years. So, so my plug is, um, we are getting sort of (laughs) fallow summer months of viewing, and I think a lot of you guys, I'm guessing just from how things went on the forums, a lot of you guys sort of gave up on the X Files revival. So when you're sitting there on Sunday night and you don't have nothing to watch except 50 episodes of Flip or Flop that are somehow still on your DVR, (laughs) we talk. We talk about Call the Midwife again. Think about picking up on X-Files Revival that you gave up on, and you can find my coverage of it on Previously.TV, which you probably didn't watch before because you gave up on it, and um, you can find all those episodes of the last season of the X-Files, really, I think only on the Fox site right now, but you can watch it for free on the Fox site, and um, then you can go back and read my particles and bitch about the show or disagree and say that you love it in the forums on previously.tv. <laughs> Please move away Joe. from the microphone so people can oh, talk. Oh, Dave, finito, please. Um, uh, speaking of shows that will be on while we're all dead in our graves, Grey's Anatomy ended its most recent season last week with uh, an episode that was fairly subdued for a Grey's Anatomy finale, and this is still an episode that featured a wedding, a major character reveal, and one character giving birth by at-home cesarean section. So, um... Unanesthetized, as I read. Yeah, oh yeah. And I will say, for as much as that character, uh, Sarah Drew's character, uh, annoys the shit out of me on that show, I will say props to her for giving a legit, like, blood-curdling scream (laughs) as she got cut into. Like, that was some work. So, well done there. Um, One other thing that happened on the show was... Uh, the character played by Sada Ramirez quietly sort of left the show. At the very end, she and her wife, played by Jessica Capshaw, uh, worked out a sort of impromptu custody arrangement for Callie to end up leaving Seattle to go to New York to be with her girlfriend. And the next day, the news came out that Sada Ramirez was leaving Grey's Anatomy after a long time on the show. She'd been on since season two. And was it really that long? Yeah, she was on been, when I, mean, I still I watched, watched it, and show. that was a million years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's been on the show longer, I think, than a lot of people uh, realize. And it was this very kind of like low key departure, which it's interesting because, on the one hand, you want to say, like, you know, good for you for sort of, you know, keeping, you know, lying low on your way out, not making a big deal out of it or whatever. Um, some actors sort of want this kind of tournament of roses parade as they leave. And I guess that's not what she was into, but, but it then, also made oh. me feel like, sorry. I was just going to um, say, didn't Shonda Rhimes then come out like on Friday and be like, I didn't know she was actually quitting. I had a different plan for her or something. It feels like the communication on that set has never been the strongest. <laughs> that is a and very I feel like good you point. Can, 
You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and I also feel, I mean, it's, you know, Shonda's got to be doing 8 billion things at once, too. Um, but they also maybe talk about things in the press more than they probably should. Agreed. Um, but on screen, it made me feel like I wish I would have known what was going on, or at the very least that the show had left that character in a better place, because that's a character I've generally really liked. There have been, like, down periods, but they really, they left her off after like several weeks of me being like really sick of her. She was really unlikable during the custody battle and she had been kind of uncharacteristically dense about some things where she didn't quite see how the idea of her moving across the country with her girlfriend should like upset the apple cart at all. And I was just like, that doesn't make sense for anybody, much less this like very smart woman. So it kind of bummed me out that the last like six episodes that I had with this character, I was really, really sick of her. And normally with Grey's Anatomy, I can be sick of a character for a while because I know that like it's coming back next year and I'll bounce back as it always does. And I'll feel better about one person and worse about another. Um, so I was just kind of bummed to have this one go away. But, uh, that is the way it goes in Shondaland. So that's that. Uh, for my plug, it's not actually a plug for me. I just sort of thought of this. Um, but friend of the podcast, Dan Rogie, has been on a kick on Facebook and Twitter oh, yeah. over the last couple of days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Trying to find, dig out this mystery of this Match Game episode that he saw, wherein <laughs> the wife of one of the uh, contestants went into labor during the during gameplay and <laughs> left the studio audience to go have her baby while the husband stayed and played match game, which a props, but b divorce probably I would think. Um, dumb and Donald then the next was episode, so dumb. <laughs> and then the next episode because i guess he must have won came back and like the wife was still in the hospital and he's still playing match game and so dan surmised that this child born of you know match game and and vodka or whatever the hell was going on in that <laughs> studio at that point um, would be in her 30s now, and it would be kind of fascinating to talk to this, uh, uh, I guess because they said in the second episode that it was a baby girl. Um, Ray Bernia. Yeah. <laughs> well, her name was Jennifer. Somebody... Yeah, they said the name because yeah. Dan knows They it. made a joke about naming her Florence after Florence Henderson, which was like, Aww. oh, 70s. So if you go to uh, Twitter <laughs> at DJ Rogie, I'm sure he's got a, a post or two. Uh, a tweet or two about that. We're sort of trying to we're trying to mystery show this shit and uh, get to the bottom of it. So. And uh, if you don't recognize the name, that's DJB from Television Without Pity. Yes. and he's been on the on Mark One of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> All so, right. Uh, get that done. Yeah, yeah, it's a very worthy cause. I mm-hmm. uh, I reshared it immediately. Uh, I would really like to see that Dan uh, documentary happen. That would be amazing. All right, Sarah, take us out. Uh, 60 days in, uh, the season proper is over as we record this, but the reunion remains. I was sort of like, are they going to do a reunion for this? They really shouldn't. Sweet. They're doing one. In which Jeff and Robert will be shamed, um, I'm sure. I mean, not Robert, because it's not really possible to shame Robert. He um, sent me an email actually uh, saying that I should do a piece about his artwork that he sells to help <laughs> disadvantaged children. But Eve and I couldn't find any prices on it. And also it just looks like that, you know, that booth at the craft fair with like the dichroic glass that's all yes. bendy and weird, except like 
two feet tall. It looks like bongs that got stepped on. It's um, the show is actually really watchable without quite being good. Um, it got renewed before the first season even had its first episode, so I doubt they're going to change anything. But I really wish that they would um, be a little more transparent about what they're doing with the timeline and more consistent about in which ways, like either make the fake inmates have to, you know, deal with everything the real inmates do or just use real inmates. Like, I don't think there should be exceptions. I think there's like a Heisenberg principle here where you put in these seven people undercover, but they like they can get out if they have to. They can whatever feign emergency constipation and not have to go back to gen pop or they can use the code word and you know be released from this dangerous pod and it's like well how much information is that really gonna give you because the stated reason for the program from the jail side was to get intel on other inmates and corrupt guards and i don't feel like that necessarily happened and there were a couple of duds in the you know among the faux inmates as well. Uh, Eve covered this show for me a couple of times. Eve, did you keep watching it when I, um, my you know, was not I'd sort of, I'd sort of have it on, but I didn't, you know, pay attention to it, you know, the way I, you know, slavishly would when I was uh, reporting on it. But, you know, I was, I really liked your post on. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as four ninety nine a month with an annual membership, and you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! how they should improve it. I mean, obviously those guys should send you a check because if they don't take your suggestions, they're stupid. I thought of a way that they Jamie could... Jamie Noel have... did like that on Twitter. He did oh, like see, the post. Oh, see, good. Good. Okay, well, see, that's, that's progress. But I was thinking, I have one idea of how to get rid of the whole like bogus, we're going to uncover wrongdoing. Okay, forget all that. Forget the whole thing where you get to get out. I mean, obviously if these people are about to get shivved, you know, pull them out, but you should probably do that to any human being. I was thinking... This is all operating under the assumption that people who are working corrections in Indiana or wherever 
are actually trained. But let's say it's a condition of your employment as a CO that you have to be in jail for, say, three weeks. And you have to be an inmate. And if you can't make it for the three weeks, then you don't get to be a CO. I think a lot of people, especially in places like Jefferson County, which is basically, it's it's practically Clark County. It's practically Kentucky, as my family said when I said something about, oh, I was watching this jail show. Oh, well, that's practically Kentucky. It's not even Indiana. Like, that makes sense. <laughs> Um, but if you said, okay, if you want to be a CO, you have to do this thing where you're in jail for three weeks to see what it's like to be an inmate. So you'll be a better corrections officer. And if you, you know, you fail out, then you can't do it just like basic training. I think that that would make for a good show. It would give these, it would make these people better COs and we would see them get into that inmate mentality really quickly, because obviously if the kind of person who wants to be a CO, you're the kind of person who's going to fall into line really interestingly. I don't know. I think that that would make for a good show and they should consider using that. Yeah, I agree. And it would get, it would kill um, two birds with one stone that just like a different bird than they're currently trying to kill with yeah. this one. Um, yeah. Before I do my plug, I believe that you had an update on our um, Empire yes. Actress Files. It, I, yeah, I'm just so embarrassed that I remember I forgot this. So it's Leslie Uggams is the person. Oh, of course. Um, I know. And so if you don't know who she is off the top of your head, she was in Deadpool. She played uh, Deadpool's roommate. And, you know, she's done a billion other things. She was on Nurse Jackie. She's terrific. And her birthday is Wednesday. So happy hey. birthday. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, she's, she's a big uh, Broadway actress. And if you look up uh, on YouTube, Leslie Uggams, June is busting out all over. You will not be disappointed <laughs> is all I will say. It's and- fucking crazy she is terrific her character is not well written on empire but she is very good in it happy birthday leslie <laughs> um speaking of broadway things adam grossworth and i are covering cop rock uh the complete first season it's only 11 episodes i'm not 100 percent sure that uh adam is gonna make it through the whole thing <laughs> like we both are just sort of confused by why it exists. And like every time we're like, why, like, should this be even worse and therefore more entertaining? But it, it really isn't. And there's like a really weird thing um, with like, there's a whole subplot involving how ugly the mayor of Los Angeles is. And this is a character played by creator Stephen Bochco's wife. Oh no. What? Oh my so she goes and has plastic surgery on her entire body and her plastic surgeon who can't sing gets a whole number that seemed to go on for two weeks. And then she comes back and it's literally like the um, actress has had some putty removed from her nose and that is it. She looks the same. Oh she was not ugly to start with, but like who? Oh my God. Like, Great idea. Speaking of weird bondage domination marriages <laughs> where the state <laughs> word is being ignored, like this is all the microaggressions in a big pot, like, in script form, like printed out in Final Cut. It's really odd. Anyway, that's me and Adam. It'll be over soon. Come support us in our um, developing aversion to Randy Newman. Hi, Tara, Sarah, Dave, and valued guest. This is Erica Smith with my canon submission of Season 6, Episode 14 of ER, All in the Family. I'm going to be slightly unorthodox and ask that you include the last win- one minute and 48 seconds of episode 13, Be Still My Heart, as well, for reasons I'll get to at the end of this entry. Oh, Most no. of this episode deals with the fallout of the previous episode, wherein John Carter and med student Lucy Knight were, as yet unbeknownst to the rest of the hospital staff, stabbed by schizophrenic patient Paul Sabricki, played by David Crumholtz. 
the opening segment of the episode is incredibly tense, as the audience awaits the discovery of the stabbing by following Carrie Weaver as she gets ready to begin her shift. She finds them, and her horrified scream takes us immediately into the action. Lucy and Carter have both been stabbed multiple times, Carter in the back and Lucy in the neck and stomach. The frenetic pace is stepped up still further with the arrival of Dr. Benton. Hey, it's okay, he's a doctor. Benton is forced to ricochet between Carter and Lucy, as he's the only surgeon on duty at that point. Carter has renal lacerations. Lucy needs a tracheotomy. Carrie has some questions. That is the standard probably an interabdominal bleed. Why would you guys sedated? I don't know. Get out of some here. What was, was he on a hold? Was there a sitter with I don't know, Carrie. I never saw him. What? Carrie is finally forced to perform a thoracotomy, which everyone wordlessly watches her do. She calmly and efficiently cracks Lucy's chest. Lucy and Carter are wheeled to the OR, and Carrie finally lets her calm dissolve. You Dr. Weaver? You're the one who found him? Excuse me? Dr. Weaver, we got a problem with the medevac chopper. Just your trauma from Whitey. Try to divert. I did, but lay points closed. Whatever. Doctors Anspa and Benton scrub in for Carter's surgery, while Romano and Corday, all of whom have finally arrived at the hospital, are in for Lucy's. Carter, who is awake, is relieved that Benton will be at the helm. How many units is that? No, that's five, but uh, you shouldn't be counting. It's bad, isn't it? Well, we're having problems uh, keeping your crit up, but uh, I think that's when the renal lag. I'm going to give you a couple of verses to relax you a little before I intubate, okay? Could be the aorta. Aorta vena cava or mesenteric vessels. Oh, God. Carter, don't worry. I'm going to explore the abdomen. I'm going to check out everything, okay? I'm glad it's you. Hey, hmm. I'm getting you through this, man. You hear me? Carter? Okay, ready to intubate. Carrie is back in true Carrie form as she wonders who the hell was running this lemonade stand while she was gone. <laughs> okay, he presented with a headache, right, and pulse of breaking. Mark, please tell me that you saw him. Yeah, I saw him. Lucy worked him up, Carter supervised. And who supervised him? The LP came back negative. You know what? If you wanted to leave early, you could have at least rounded. Okay, I ran the board with Dr. For Kodak. how long? For 30 seconds? He was up to speed. Hold on. You didn't tell me he was psychotic. I didn't know he was psychotic. Did he present to you? No, I didn't see him. I thought we were waiting for a psych consult. Unless his status changes. Yeah, but someone should tell me that. I was managing the whole board. You were having a party. Hold on. Hold on. Carrie, Carrie. Carrie. We both thought that Lucy and Carter had a cover. Well, they didn't, did Excuse they? me. Hey, we both know that we use the residence to keep us informed. Are you blaming Carter, Mark? No, I'm not blaming anyone, are you? At this point, a pregnant Mrs. Sabricki shows up and refuses to believe that her husband could possibly have done this. An ambulance arrives carrying a man who was hit by a car after running naked down Michigan Avenue. Malik identifies him as Paul Sabricki. He's raving, altered, and in the middle of his rant, something he says catches Carrie's attention. 
I won't talk. I won't talk. I made promises to people. Four millimeters equal and reactive. Do you know where you are? I told you my name. I don't even know you. Do you remember what happened? You can't trick me. I don't know you. No. No deformity. I'm not deformed. Temperature's 95. No. Get off of me now. Leave me alone. Don't stick me. You want some held off? wouldn't stop sticking me. Dr. Weaver, do you want some held off? Dr. Weaver, you have no right yeah, to Yeah, two this. liters of warm saline pipe with held all IV. Where are you going? It's like fluid in Morrison's mouth. Hey, can you take this patient? You okay? He's the guy. He's the guy. He's the psych patient got hit by a car. What is it? Can you just take him? Carter's surgery eventually goes well after a couple of complications. And while it looks at first like Lucy's has gone well too, she develops a pulmonary embolism and has to go back to surgery. Romano's confident about this one, but all too soon, something else goes wrong. Don't worry, Ms. Knight. We've put far too much time and energy into your training to lose you now. Greenfield filters are a snap. Done about a hundred of them. I'll talk you through it if you like. BP's down to 60. Call saw at 72. Lucy! No credit pulse. Damn it, she's thrown another clock. Start chest compressions. You! Get in here and bag her! Lizzie, I need you now! Give me a stable room over! Come on, come on, come on! Lucy develops another clot and, despite the best ministrations of Romano and Corday, dies. Romano doesn't want to give up on her, but Corday gently talks him down. The rest of the staff, including Carter, are informed of her death. The hospital has to return to normal, though, and Mark takes on a new patient as the police investigate. The final scene is of Romano sewing Lucy's chest closed and Carrie covering her with a sheet. This isn't an episode for people who are new to ER, but it represents what was so good about the series in its early to mid-seasons. The medical scenes are tense and gripping, and the actors are allowed to showcase their characters in ways they don't always get to. Romano is usually a despicable blowhard, but Paul Crane is allowed so much more to do here that it's easy to forget what a jerk he is most of the time. (laughs) The scenes between Eric LaSalle's Benton and Noah Wiley's Carter are two of the best in the episode, and the hard-headed brusqueness of Laura Innes's Weaver, while usually grating, is welcome here. The episode isn't without filler, in the form of visits by Mark's father and Corday's mother, as well as a scene with Cleo that seems kind of out of place, but that's why I wanted the last moments of episode 13 in here. In that one minute and 48 seconds, with low-fidelity all-stars as Battle Flag playing in the background, we see Sabricki stab Carter in the back. Noah Wiley's face and collapse, and subsequent horrified discovery of a throat-slit Lucy, are shocking and amazingly performed, and I think cancel out some of the filler scenes in this episode. So there you have it. I hope that this becomes your first ER episode in the canon, and thanks for listening. Sarah, why don't you start us off? Yeah, Sarah covered this for TWAP. That's why I thought she should. Oh first. man. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for this presentation. I had a feeling that I was really going to enjoy uh, revisiting this in the sense of appreciating appreciating it in a way like what a time machine it was. And at this time on Television Without Pity. Um, which may still have been Mighty Big TV at this time. Yeah, maybe. Tara and I were alternating ER episodes. Yep. Uh, I lived in Manhattan. Tara and Dave lived in Toronto. And the phone, like, <laughs> at the end of the previous episode, we were on the phone immediately and, like, kept crossing over each other and getting a busy <laughs> signal, <laughs> trying to call each other. And then for the next episode this one that we're um that we're currently talking about we were on the phone to each other at every single commercial break and the other thing i remember is that when benton 
finally appears like that the camera sort of dollies out and then back and he's coming down the stairs at a dead run. I remember I burst into tears of relief and watching it again the other day, I did it again. Mm -hmm. But it was like, here comes the cavalry. Thank God. Like this episode was so well built. It went so nicely back into like the backstories of the characters, like that clip where he's like, you know, I'm glad it's you. Yeah. Like I cried a lot during this episode. I also occasionally shed a tear for how fucking hot Luca is. So. <laughs> My man. Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm the one still watching. I can't even remember the name of the show, but it's European and it's on Netflix. UK and yeah, I watch it. Um, Crossing lines. Yes. Thank you. Um, there's so many, like, there's John Doman. Oh, my God. Uh, there's uh, Paris. There's Mrs. Sabricki. Yeah. From home That's to... who it is. Ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, such a nice, such a nice uh, turn for McCrane. And Michael Michelle, like, I didn't care for Cleo. I didn't care for Michael Michelle in this role or really any of the other roles. Like, she's beautiful, but uh-uh, with the acting. <laughs> But she throws Benton this go-fuck-yourself eyebrow over her mask at one point <laughs> in this episode that is really yeah. brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear what the submitter is saying about the filler bits, but it was necessary. Like, watching this at the time, like, it's it's not on the DVR. There is no Twitter. Like, you have nowhere to go with this but to the nearest landline to <laughs> call your bestie and <laughs> hyperventilate, which is what Tara and I were doing. Yep. And that cumulative experience, like, it has not been lessened at all in the 15 or 16 years. Like, it's still an extremely powerful piece of television. And the fact that they make you wait so long for someone to discover the bodies is amazing. Um, I I feel like we all were supposed to hate Kelly Martin and this was supposed to be, like, a, a relief. Oh, I loved her. That she got killed off. I loved her. But I don't I don't remember that now. I just remember you know, I just remember how draining it was. Like this was an hour after which like I had to lie down. Yeah. Basically in like in bed with my landline phone because I am old. <laughs> Joe, what did you think? Um well, I mean similarly, I feel like this was maybe like the defining TV cliffhanger of my youth which I just remember watching that the end of that one episode <clears throat> and like un like it was unfathomable that I would have to wait a week to find out what happened. Cause the, the reveal of Kelly Martin on the floor. Of oh that my God. Unbelievable. Room is just took, take your, takes your breath away. I mean, the submitter so, says the submitter says include the end of the previous episode was like, I don't need to cause it's burned on my memory. Right. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Ever. Um, and then so the, the episode starts and like when you're in that mindset, it starts the filmmaking on it, first of all, is absolutely phenomenal because it starts off like any other episode and it's calm and it's sort of in the middle of this party and you see sort of following Carrie as she walks into the ER and it's sort of like like uh, John Spencer in the West Wing pilot where it's just like, oh, we're going to follow him uh-huh. through like, the hallways or whatever. And it's like with that, with Carrie, except in the back of your mind, it's like Lucy and Carter, Lucy and Carter, Lucy and Carter. And the show knows this and the show plays with this and it gets much more frenetic. And at one point, the camera gets too agitated to stay with the characters. 
and keeps wanting to like move faster than Carrie is moving because Carrie doesn't know yet. Yeah, so it is she's like pulling her along. It right. is, and it, and then and then it moves down and it shows you the the bloody uh, footprint, oh. like mere seconds <laughs> before she sees it, and it's just like it's it's some of the best cinematic camera work done for television probably ever I and would say. what a boss she is too oh, she fires up that bone saw that it's like my man uh, get it also I love her since i first saw that episode the whole idea of like a rib spreader has haunted my like no. entire being forever <laughs> it's so like ooh, what a what a task for a tool it's just like oh my god like what does that do it can't do what it says it does <laughs> sure right does. no two, two things yeah. i think about you know, having done that creep me out bone spreaders and like eye surgery under local anesthetic. Those are like my two <laughs> uh, nightmare scenarios. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for telling me about that, Dave. Now I'm going to be thinking about that. Um, Sarah's totally right about the moment where Eric LaSalle comes running in. I totally burst into tears too watching this. This, this <laughs> episode just wasted no time in just getting me right exactly in the mindset where I was when I first watched this. Um, I remember not liking Benton. Like Benton's a hard character to like. That's the whole point of Benton. But when I was first watched the show, I was like, "Oh fuck, this guy. He's so mean." But like watching it now, it's just like you needed him to run in to like, you know, take care of shit. He was going to be the one to make sure that Carter, you know, stayed stayed alive. And and they were smart about like the two of them have another moment that is not unrelated to this. Which whatever spoiler. He's addicted to fentanyl, and Benton right. is the one who finally has to. Yeah. Well, and then and, nah, and it's yeah. When they make Benton nice, they do it sparingly, yeah. and it's very effective as a result. Well, and then you you parallel that with Romano and Lucy in the other OR, and Lucy has, and there's a great scene with uh, with Corday and Lucy too. That Alex Kingston was always one of my favorite people on the show, and she's one of those. She just has such a kind face, and when she's talking to Lucy and like pulls out the uh, the thing from her neck so that Lucy can just very quietly whisper thank you, and that scene was just so heartbreaking, especially knowing what was to come. Um, it's I, I I don't think about this episode often enough when I think of like the greatest TV episodes that I've seen. I honestly think it's one of the greatest TV episodes that I've ever seen. It's so 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 good. Yeah, it is good. I don't have much to add, um, except that it was probably smart that they didn't put Liza Weil and Maura Tierney in any scenes together because they have the same face and people would probably be like, why is your clone here? They have the same face. Um, also, Judy Parfit uh, yeah. as uh, as uh, Corday's mother, like basically making, Donovan, yeah. making me cry all season because <laughs> she's also in Call the Midwife as Sister Monica Jones. So thanks a lot oh, for wow. haunting my weekend, Judy Parfit. Um, um, McCrane is in Cop Rock. So, yeah, there have been a lot of weird fans <laughs> with this shit today. Um, and uh, the, the other moment that the submitter, Erica, didn't mention was uh, when Maura Tierney. Uh, now, why can't I remember her name? What was her name? Abby. Abby. Thank Abby. you. Um, when she's looking for uh, for a tube for the. Um, whatever kit she's looking for and it like just has a tiny moment where she goes into this drug closet looking for and like tries to collect herself and kind of can't quite like it's very short and that's all you can do like this what's good about this episode is it was it's the best of what er did well the ones where it's a huge amount of relationship stuff or like the fucking patients are paralleling what's going on with the doctors like you know some of that could be tiresome and if every episode was this obviously no one would watch it because it would be exhausting and it would be too tense but this is such a good encapsulation of everything that the show did at its best i think um the one thing that i 
thought of this time that I certainly wouldn't have thought to wonder about when I watched it the first time is when there's the whole thing that that Erica didn't mention where um, Cleo is waiting for Peter to come in and operate on her patient, this guy that's been had oil, something exploded on him, and he just needs something minor done. But Peter can't come in and do it right away because he's still working on Carter. And so in order to stabilize him, she has to do the only thing she knows how to do because she's not a surgeon, which is give him a think a thoracotomy. And then the other, you know, the anesthesiologist is, you know, trying to talk her out of it. And Peter comes in and yells at her. That's where he she gives him the amazing eyebrow that Sarah was talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, who's paying for that? I would like to know if I'm that patient. I certainly don't expect to see that on my bill. That better be comped <laughs> because point. someone else... Yeah, <laughs> and a free dessert for my troubles. Uh, anyway, that was my only thought. Um, so yeah, Eve. Um, uh, you know there. I, well, for one thing, Erica, that was such a nice presentation too, yes. and it. Uh, I thought that it was such a great overview of the episode. But um, so when I say, oh, but Erica didn't mention, it's not a criticism of what you just did. It was because you did a really good job, but. But but what Erica didn't mention is um, that so many weird little side notes that I almost feel like if someone were making this episode now, uh, whatever, billion years later, uh, studio notes would have been streamline this, get rid of this. Just so many little grace notes like Mark's dad saying, well, where do I put the car? Or um, that mm-hmm. moment at the very end where Mark sort of collects himself and has to get back to work. Or the fact that Hathaway is not in the episode, barely yeah. at all. Which I, with me. She was well, the smuggest and most annoying. Oh, listen, I don't disagree with you, but she was also, if I recall, the, and you guys, of course, recall this era better than me because you're writing about it, but she was in every freaking commercial, right? Every week it was like the Hathaway show. And so that she's like, oh, I'm going home. And I sort of thought like, well, I don't remember her being in this episode, but surely she's going to come back and you know do something you know she's the one who whatever you know saves carter or something and i've forgotten this but that she wasn't there which i don't know maybe she was she pregnant or something was there a reason she couldn't this be was around her last know, season was... she was getting ready to leave oh, okay. she left at the end all right of the so season. she she had to go home to counter money and you know so she was busy doing that and like oh like a more tyranny, you know, sitting there trying to pay your rent from the landline in the locker room. All these weird little things that don't go anywhere that um, have nothing to do with the main plot of we're about to kill somebody. Um, that I thought all of that is what kept it from being feeling completely ginned up in a high school play about how everybody can die. Um, I also really liked when um, everybody you know, towards the end of the episode, everyone else is there sort of having a meal. It's, you know, it's a couple of the nurses and, um, you know, and Migna Wen, and they're all just sort of laughing and talking about, you know, oh, there's a kind of politically incorrect, uncomfortable thing now about Carter sending uh, Lucy in to do a pelvic on what they say was a drag queen, but I think was probably a transgender person we'd say now. And then um, uh, what's her name has to come in and let them know that what we already know that Lucy's dead and they're sitting there being happy, not knowing it yet. All these little things are so nice and built such a good episode. And I just, I wonder if something like this would be made now on a big network marquee show like this was. Yeah. That's a good point. Dave. Uh, I got nothing to add about the episode. I think you all covered it. It is like such a well-paced episode. Uh, for all the reasons, especially what Eve said, like you can't have all star wipes. You can't all be, <laughs> you know, rib cracking and, and get me this and that stat. Um, I just want to say on a technical level, 
you cannot submit one minute and 30 seconds of another episode for consideration <laughs> in another episode's canon. Just want to squash that Thank you, right now. I'm, cl- I'm, I'm closing the uh, bylaws of the canon book now. Uh, so let's put this to a vote. Uh, Sarah. Absolutely, yes. Well Joe. done. Yeah, 100% yes. Tara. Yeah, me too. Eve. Yeah. All right. Five for five. <laughs> yeah. ER season six, episode 14, all in the family. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot, great Candon. Thank you, Emily. Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time for Winner and Loser of the Week, both brought to you by Tara. Tara, take it away. Uh, is it Emily? I think I said Erica. Oh, it is Erica. Oh, okay. Did loser I say of Emily? the Week, Dave. Yes, uh, you just said Emily. Just I now. was thinking about Emily Owens, the doctor show. Oh, MD. yes. MD. Yes. <laughs> of course. You were the only one. Sorry, Erica. <laughs> Even uh, What's-Her-Face Gummer doesn't remember she did that one. All right. Winner of the Week. I have a couple. Um, one is Neve Shulman. <laughs> He he proposed to uh, the girlfriend he knocked up because she doesn't believe in contraception or is too dumb to use it because she just pees on a stick every month to find out she was pregnant. And one time she got unlucky. That was announced last week or the week before. Anyway, uh, as of today or yesterday, as we record this, uh, Neve uh, proposed marriage to her. And since they've been dating on and off long distance for seven months and only broke up once in that time, who better than these two? Congratulations to them, question mark. But the real winner of the week is... um, Adil Akhtar, uh, who uh, tomorrow night will wrap up his run on The Night Manager in the U.S. Of course, already it finished in the U.K. Um, he's also formerly of Utopia, the good one, not the shitty one on Fox. Um, he just got cast to be in the film adaptation of Kumail Nanjiani's story of how he got together with his wife, Emily Gordon, um, which is going to be a feature film produced by Judd Apatow. Anyway, congratulations to him. He's playing Kumail's brother in the film. Loser of the week, a show nobody remembers, but I only brought it up this week because Eve is here. Eve, Damien got canceled. <laughs> oh my god! I completely. The thing is, when I saw it on the dock, I was like, "That motherfucker's still on." <laughs> no, nope. it got canceled. <laughs> One and done on A and E. Eve, of course, wrote the new show fact sheet on that. So if you want to go back in time and see when that was all full of promise, just kidding. She never cared. Neither did anyone else, and including A and E, because it got canceled. Speaking of things that got canceled, do you know what time it is? Time for a new season of Game Time? Yep, Game Time. What are you whispering? She's whispering to her dog, I bet. He really loves the Game Time music, you guys. He got so excited and danced in a circle. Yay. Anyway. All right, guys. This is the first game time of the new season. Today, we are playing Rhymes with Shonda. Oh. Aw. The dog's running around. (laughs) From uh, Andrew Rabin, uh, who earns himself an extra credit, redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of his choosing. The rules of Rhymes with Shonda are simple. Finish the limerick I will butcher with the name of the showrunner, creator, or head writer referenced throughout it. Oh. We have 32 poems for you today, plus a tiebreaker if needed. Let's see who's going first. We will start with valued guest. All right. So we're going to go Eve, Joe, 
Sarah, Tara, that's our order for Rhymes with Shonda. Everybody mm-hmm. ready? Yes, sir. Let's play it. Yes. Eve. Oh, boy. Yes. The multicam sitcom's a bore, and washing sure can be a chore. But if you want to laugh, he's got two and a half. This show's runner name is... L- Lori? Lore? <laughs> Lori. One point, right? Yeah, that's it. Just a point for the correct answer. Okay. Joe Reed. A dynasty yep. of shows grew quick with crimes that could make viewers sick. Now new franchise in session with each Chi-Town profession. This creator is a wolf named... All right, the dynasty thing threw me initially, but it's uh, <laughs> Dick. It's Dick Wolf. Correct. Nice. Sarah. His show couldn't look any finer. Thanks to its great production designer. He ended it with Coke, not a D.B. Cooper joke. It's four-time <laughs> Emmy winner. That wiener slash whiner? Yeah. <laughs> I think it is whiner, though. That's how he pronounces it anyway. Yes. Either way. Yes. It's too withering. Yep. After years of meth, this man didn't wince. He's moved to the legal field since. He started with Act Files, but Cransom made him piles on this island, the Gilligans. Vince Gilligan. These are great limericks. They are. Love well them. done, Andrew. Back to Eve. Kalinda, with all her flings, coming and Baranski, this caster sings. While Alicia is swell, it's all Rob and Michelle. The good wife was made by the... The Kings. Kings, correct. <clears throat> Joe. This duo could write and produce a show with an ending obtuse. It's a little bit off because nothing rhymes with Lindoff, so this one's just <laughs> Cuse. <laughs> Carlton Cuse. That's awesome. Lindelof, I think it's what you meant. Lindelof? Yeah. <clears throat> what I say? Lindoff? Lindoff. Uh, Sarah. Sarah. With her star, they are birds of a feather. A group lives in a loft all together. While the world, while the word is deplorable, the show is adorable. I think that's supposed dorkable. to be adorable. Yeah. And it's made by... Can I hear the first couplet again? Yeah. With her rhyme. star, they are birds of a feather. A group lives in the loft all together. Close. Liz Merriweather. Isn't that what she said? I said Merriweather. Oh, I thought she said Fairweather. Okay, all right. We'll give you that. We'll give you that point. Sorry about that. All right, Tara. Yep. Follow Darabont and Mazara. Simple. Popping zombies like each are a pimple. Watched by millions of men, but he couldn't kill Glenn. This show is run by... (laughs) Oh, no. I don't remember her. I don't remember. I don't know. I know it's Walking Dead, but I forget the person's name. Scott Gimple. Gimple. Fuck. All right. So we're back to Eve. He did wonders for Eva and Perry. Felicity and Marcia were not ancillary. Wasn't perfect on set with him and Nicolette. On Wisteria, the man was... Uh, Cherry. Mark Cherry. You are correct. All right. So we are two... Mr. Joe Reed, treating mobsters with plenty of grace, he gave the mob quite a showcase. Many Tony did whack, the end just cut to black, a decision that came from... David Chase. David Chase. 
All right. Damn it. All right. <laughs> Sarah D. Bunting. Yep. You couldn't call the showrunner charming. Without him, season four was alarming. While he waits for a flick, he's got Morty and Rick, and that's all I can say about. <laughs> oh. Dan Harmon? Whoops. That's yes. correct. Yes. Tara. Yes. Bring us into our first score break. Yes. His quirks can dominate the telly. Showed at law firms the weird underbelly. He just loves a wacky workspace. His wife starred in Scarface. Death of feminism. Blame. David E. Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Well, sigh. I have two points. Everyone else is tied with three apiece. All right. Well, that was question 12. There are 32, I think I said. You did? So let's get back into it. Eve. Legend of sitcoms of yesteryear. Controversy he never did fear. Could go narrow or broad. The Jeffersons to mod. Still going strong. It's... Norman Lear. Correct. Well done. Joe. You want something weird? This guy is trying. For a year or two, audience buy in. Teen singers, rubber suit. Now there's OJ to boot. Murphy's Law states this man is... Oh, Ryan. (laughs) Sarah. Ask for the greatest show. Some will chime in that his Baltimore epics... Uh, David Simon. Yep, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tara. Yeah. Can you answer this in less than two lines? We'll see. A nice word this man cannot utter. As an editor, he's not much of a cutter. Kurt Sutter. (laughs) Wow. Had a hit cycle gang where his wife often sang this yeah. bastard's known as Kurt Sutter. Sutter. All right, Eve. Nice. Number 17. The bastard executioner. Pretty cool. Early on, these partners got lots of praise, but they slapped us with constant delays. No one cared about Ted or his wife who was dead. That's how I met. Oh, sh- Hayes? Thomas and Bayes. Oh, God. Okay. Sorry. All right. Joe. Created Leslie with enthusiasm pure and Peralta, who's quite immature. He's run successful shows, but he's most known as Moe's. Yep. Ken Tremendous's real name is... Michael Shore. Number... For Sarah D. Bunting. They made a sitcom that could sustain with a cast as diverse as the state of Maine. Now it's episodes for he. She's got Frank, Grace, and Frankie. Dream On came from... Uh... I'd be so impressed if you get this. Yeah, I would never get this. I mean, I know what it is, but nope. Kane? I don't know. Sorry. Uh, Marta Kaufman and David yeah, Crane. Kaufman and... Crane. Kaufman and Green. Oh, of course. I can picture the friends. <laughs> All right. So that means it is time for Taurus. Yep. Started off with China Beach shells. Saved the West Wing from Sorkin spells. But his big hit by Afa. <laughs> 15 years with E.A. This <laughs> producer is known as. Uh, John Wells. Yeah, how topical. In charge of the fire and ice, they've used almost every device. The books they did deplete, one wed Amanda Pete, and t- 
up the thrones are. Oh, I don't watch the show. I'm so sorry. <laughs> mm, I never would have got it anyway. Something in Benioff. I don't know what the other person's Benioff name is. Benioff and Weiss. Weiss. Ah, Weiss? good job, Joe. Weiss. 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 All right, Joe. From animation, he rarely did budge until this tech comedy as rich as fudge. <laughs> From Beavis, he did switch. From Thomas Middleditch, <laughs> the king of the hill is... Mike Judge. <laughs> oh, tech yeah. comedy as rich as fudge. Yeah, it yeah. is. Uh huh. Right, that, that was good. I like that. <laughs> Superhero shows heat up the ante, made a villain of Laura Benanti. Yep. Created Ellie Stone, Eli, Eli Stone, Stone, on top of the yes. CW throne. Flash and Arrow come from. Craig Berlanti. Yes. <clears throat> Tara. Yes. Ariana. Yes. Bring us into our second score break. Okay. This one's a tough one. Alrighty. At his first show, NBC did bulk, <laughs> but FXX <laughs> let him bring the shock. <laughs> he wrote on weeds first, but now it's you're the worst. It's Twop alum. Stephen Falk. Correct. Yay! fun. All right. Eve has four. Sarah and I are tied with five each. Joe's in the lead with six. All right. Everybody's got two questions left. All righty. Let's get rid of the claps. Okay. Back to Eve. Their first show did air on Thursday. Autobiographical in a way. Her name's more known than his because she did play Liz. He's Robert Carlock. She's and I am blowing it. He's Robert who? Carlock. Just like it sounds. Why don't you ask him to reread the first couplet again? Their first again? show did air on Thursday. Autobiographical in a way. Her name's more known than his because she did play Liz. He's Robert Carlock. She's... Something they? Tina Fey. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> God, I'm so sorry. I knew you knew it. That's why I made him read it again. Oh, no, thank you. I, I Yeah. It's I okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe. His show has a yeah. sense of melancholy filled with folks who say G and golly. Set in towns that froze based on the Cohen bros. It's Fargo's Ezek. Oh, crap. Um... A sense of melancholy filled with folks who say G and golly. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know who it is. Noah Holly. Yeah, and it would not have gotten that. No. Picky can suck my dick. Wow. <laughs> Language. Young Sorry. lady. All right, Sarah. <laughs> Their show, the award shows did enjoy. Rumors say each other they avoid. They both wore Emmy's crown. He did not play Doc Brown. It's Steve Levitan and... Christopher Lloyd? Yep. Yep, correct. Different one. (laughs) Different one. Tara Ariana? Yes. He helped make Galactica soar. Now he works on time travel lore. It's historical flair about a woman named Claire, and it's run by a man named... Ron Moore. Correct. Eve, your last question. 
the CW cuts her quite a check for her sexy young vampire track. That doesn't rhyme. <laughs> now Elena has gone, there's still Damon and Stefan. Diaries are written by... Oh. I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> Anybody? Julie Pleck. Julie Pleck. Joe, your last question. What's the score, by the way, Tara? Oh, the score is Eve has four, and Joe and Sarah and I are all tied with six apiece. Oh, my. Okay, Joe. His shows offer plenty of promise, though Veronica and Liv fail to calm us. Cupid was twice a letdown, but he wrote Party Down. He (gasps) is not Matchbox 20s. Rob Thomas. (laughs) The quiet confidence in Joe's answer. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> tears from your eyes, down your face comes as the music swells, led by the bass drums. Parenthood brought much joy, and then there's about a boy. Clear eyes, full hearts, and... Oh, God. My mind is emptied of everyone but the guy who does the music. It's not him. Scarfie's proud to work at this company. Jason Katims. Yeah. Yep. Sarah. Yeah, all right. Walden. So we at least got a two-way tie. Yep. Tara, yes, looking sir. to make it a three-way tie. Oh, okay. Boy. All right, here we go. Yep. <clears throat> you can bet it in all the casinos or just ask Mike. Aziello. What he knows, what the four words will be from Lorelai to Rory, written by a couple. <gasps> oh, Amy by- Sherman Palladino. Paladinos. Oh, and her husband Daniel Paladino. Yeah, that's fine. We'll okay. give you that. All right, that means we got a three-way tie. Paladino. <laughs> a VR. So Eve, uh, you can be my helper and uh, try to figure out who shouts the correct answer first. Okay, All I will. Right. I will say because uh, a tiebreaker was not provided by the author, I created one. But in order <gasps> for it not to be evident right away, yes. The answer is not part of the poem. The poem is self-contained. Got it. All right? Yes. You can answer at any time, but after your first answer, you have to shut up until everybody else gets a shot. Okay. Are you ready, Tara? Are you locked in? Yes. Sarah, locked in. Joe, locked in. Yep. Yes. When his show ratings (laughs) take a dive, everyone laments the network is jive. His writing (laughs) has a quick wit, but some series were not so fit. However, that one show was five by five. Joe said it. Joss Whedon. Yeah. All right, Joe. Good job, Joe. 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 I thought for sure it was going to be a rhyme involving Zilch and David Milch, (laughs) and I was so (laughs) here for it. And then Joe won again. Yeah, Joe. Good job, Joe. Mike Aziello. Is that the guy's name? Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. All right, Mike, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. That was so fun. Yeah, that was good. All right, guys, that is it for another episode of Extra Hot Great. We sat in judgment of AMC's comic book adaptation preacher, and Sarah helped us find Missing Dial before we went around the dial with stops at Call the Midwife, <laughs> Empire, Grey's Anatomy, and 60 Days in. Erica successfully pitched us ER's post stabby. All in the family for the canon. <laughs> we crowned winners and losers of the week. Ed Joe was the winner of the first game time of the season. Remember. We're listening. 
I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariana, oh, sister, Sarah D. Bunting, Flip you guys, Joe Reed, bye, Lucy, and Eve Beatty. Hey, anybody want some cake? Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll see you next time, right here on Extra Hot Grape. Can I, can I please go home now? I need to feed my dog. <laughs> oh. This has been a production of the Previously.tv Podcast Network.